the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. All right. Let's get back in there right now. This is New Generation Declassified. And you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Shad, and every single week we take a journey back in time to the good old days of the new generation of the WWF. Uh, my semi-personal favorite, even though I do a show about it, it's not my favorite era, but it is the one that I like to go back and explore this week, of course, no different, but joined on the program by one of my favorite podcasting personalities out there, the great, wait for it, wait for it, Joe Feeney joining me today. Wow, thank you very much for that phenomenal introduction. It just made me reflect on the fact that the two-man power trip empire, what a great, like, I, I, I got lazy and just went, oh, creative control uh, network, let's go with network, you know, but the empire, I like that, that's, that's good stuff. It actually just passed its anniversary where uh, I decided it was time to rebrand, mm-hmm. drop the wrestling part, you know, just the TMPT empire, because you want to uh, look a little more attractive to the outside universe. And uh, just passed the original uh, rebranding where it was a really cool graphic that I put together myself. I had like the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever the hell the lineup was. And it, that's funny you mentioned it. I think it was two years ago. It might have been three. It just passed the anniversary. Yeah, I, I think mine just popped up on my Facebook or whatever, where I was like, eh, I think I'm doing a live podcast. Here, check this out tonight. Just, <laughs> well, that, that one's coming up soon. Planning, yeah. That's Jan- the, the all-time anniversary is January. I believe it's going to be eight years. Mm. And then the TMPT Empire rebranding was about three years, I want to say. But I could be wrong. I haven't. Dug deep into my history as of late, but that's also a sign of getting old, as we've yes. already discussed independently. Uh, but Joe, when I talk about new generation, you know, you've always been on the show and said you tapped out, you weren't really watching. This wasn't your era that that really gripped you. But we're going to kind of dance around the fact that you didn't watch the new generation. We're not going to really touch on one specific moment. We're gonna we're gonna kind of shine a light on three specific letters that you know a lot about. And there was a huge crossover during the new generation era. And that is the letters of E C W. Yes. Tell me about your first discovery of ECW. Well, like a lot of people in the, well, hmm, I guess I had to back up on that, but I was going to say like a lot of people in the Philly area. I just, I was flipping through the channels and I caught it on channel 48, you know, at midnight on uh, Friday or whatever. But now that I think back, I had a next door neighbor, uh, we, you know, we always, it, we, we were the, the hood rats just uh, hanging out on his porch and everything like that. That's where we, where we chilled. And uh, I'm sitting over there the one day and uh, he's telling me about this wrestling show. He saw at a middle school and now it just so happens to be the middle school. It's like right down the street from my house now. And uh, he's like, yeah, it was crazy. It, it was wrestling, but it was real. I'm like, it's not real. There's <laughs> no one you're talking about. He's like, no, it was Raven and Cactus Jack and Tommy Dreamer. And they went outside and. The one guy got thrown in the, they broke the stop sign. He threw him head first into it. Now they're banned. They can't ever come back. I'm like, well, that's, this sounds kind of interesting anyway. But, you know, at the time, I think it was 95. So I wasn't that crazy about it. But I caught it sometime in 96 when the, you know, the NWO craze was coming around. And it made me want to get back into stuff. I would flip on Raw to see what those guys were up to. And I was flipping through the channels one night. And I just found it on, uh, like I said, Channel 48 local in philly uh had like a late night wrestling show almost every night at one point whether it was ecw nwa Wildside, you know wcw worldwide whatever right. you know it could have uh, music city stuff like that but uh i caught it on there and i remember one of the first angles i saw was uh bam bam uh was in the crowd and he was he was you know challenging tadra i'm like bigelow i'm like wow that's interesting like that's a big okay. name to have you know uh down on this uh you know you know third or tier uh promotion or whatever you want to call it third ranked or whatever eventually they called it the big three but yeah that grabbed my attention then i saw some other guys i knew some guys i didn't know and you know the raven character sucked me right in seeing sandman drink and smoke on the way there i'm like that's different and then the (laughs) girls and everything you know it was just different and i was um you know 15 16 and stuff so it all 
hit me about the right time, just having that kind of rebellious attitude to the promotion. Similar. Yeah. Discovered it in 95. I uh, had a friend who was not a wrestling fan say that they visited their aunt and uncle who lived in Binghamton, New York, mm. and were at an outdoor show. And they said the Steiner brothers were there. And mm. they said that somebody else was there. Oh, they said Cactus Jack was there. And they said that they sat next to an old lady who held up a sign that said, Cactus Jack is a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, it was the most real wrestling I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, well, what is it? They go, it's called ECW. I'm like, I never heard of this. You know? And then yeah. I'm like, I started looking at the magazines a little deeper. I'm like, oh, this is ECW. I see guys that I know are in this league, but where is this league? Lo and behold, I find a guy in the school who was taping them every single week on MSG Network. And was buying the tapes off RF video. And that's how I ended up getting introduced to ECW. But what I find to be interesting about this time frame is when you think of ECW and WWF, you think that WWF was sending guys to ECW and the guys that would leave the WWF to go to ECW and make them bigger. But I'm going to look at it from the other side. I'm going to look at guys that were in ECW that went to the WWF and you would identify them more as ECW guys, not, mm -hmm. you know, Marty Jannetty leaves the WWF in 95 and then ends up in ECW for a couple of weeks, you know, or Bam Bam in 95 leaves and goes to ECW for a couple of weeks. I'm talking about guys that you think of in ECW and you say, those are ECW guys. But they went to the WWF. So right. I'm going to throw a couple at you. I want to know if you've ever seen these, if you've ever heard of these. Um, and we'll go from there. Uh, are there any that jump off the top of your head that you know of, of those ECW guys? And I'm not just talking about like a job match, you know, because every ECW guy was a jobber. Rhino was a jobber. The Pitbulls pit were, yeah, right. pit were jobbers. Everybody was a jobber, you know. And, and Taz, I think, had a, had a tryout earlier i think like 91 or 92 so i won't even count that in the new generation era but i'm talking about guys that had something going on in the wwf but they were more identified as ecw guys so anything pop off the top of your head before we get into it um let me see well public enemy had that uh dark match i think it was before the survivor series or something like that they were they were kind of testing the waters there they wound up going to wcw which didn't turn out well for them in the long run not their wcw run but just the fact that since they turned down WBA, left bad feelings there when they eventually showed up. So I remember seeing in the magazines, public, excuse me, public enemy um, had that one match, I think with the smoking guns. Um, not that he's necessarily hundred percent ECW guy, but Benoit did a little, you know, some tryouts and like that. I remember reading about that. And uh, it, it seemed like 95 was when they first started to kind of take a look and be like, Oh, what's going on over here after Shane had, had jumped. And uh, Scorpio is another guy, you know, where, He'd been all over, but I, I still consider him kind of an ECW guy. Right, correct, yes. And, uh, if only they would have brought him in and let him be Scorpio, maybe things right. would be different there, hold, too. Hold but. that thought. We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yes, Public Enemy and the Smoking Guns is one of the matches that I was thinking about, but there's one that I want to know if you ever heard of this. I guess I lost it on my sheet because I, I couldn't verify the date of that Smoking Guns Public Enemy match. Mm -hmm. But did you know? And, of course, these two guys were also journeymen for a while. Rock and Rock been pumping around the, the indie scene forever. But did you know that on the first Monday Night Raw, January 11th, 1993, the Cheetah Kid defeated Johnny Grunge in a dark match at the original Monday Night Raw taping. But he was actually, it was uh, his other name, it was uh, Johnny Rotten. Johnny Rotten. Cheetah, right. Cheetah Kid defeats Johnny Rotten with a backflip, backflip body press. Mm -hmm. At the original Monday Night Raw taping. So again, I consider Public Enemy to be WWE, uh, ECW guys, and we know their WWF run in '99 was abysmal. Yeah, but they were always knocking on the door in '93. What would the Public Enemy have done fitting into that WWF scene in '93? What do you think? I don't think I think they could have, you know, um, because doing the the hip hop gimmick and stuff and getting the crowd to dance and they're kind of they're funny promos i think they could have fit in and maybe uh the size might have been uh, a, a detriment for them they weren't you know they weren't smoking gun size i mean not many people are billy gun size but you know i, I think oh. they could have been like a mid-card happy baby face tag team i think that would have that would have worked out fine for them even with men on a mission coming in in 93 
Yeah, you gotta you gotta get rid of men on a mission in that case because <laughs> I'd rather have the public enemy there. Right. But men on a mission, highly recruited from the Memphis territory. Right. right. So you have that. Did they say okay, we need this hip hop tag team? Because, you know, WCW was doing stuff with Scorpio, the hip-hop stuff, you know. We need a hip-hop tag team, but they can't be white guys right. from Philly. They got to be black guys from from Harlem, even though men on a mission are from the South. Yeah. And I feel like did Public Enemy get the old Shaft Rooney in favor of men on a mission when had it been maybe the other way, Public Enemy would probably be in like the, the that even higher tier of all-time tag teams. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the thing I remember flipping on or maybe I was getting towards the end of my time watching and, and seeing men on a mission. It just screamed corny WBF to me. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, like yeah, rappers do not dress like this. What do you what is this crap? And the thing about public enemy was it was more, you know, true to life is, you know, they were more street guys. Men on a yeah. mission looked like goofs, you know, like, what, what are they wearing? You know, so that kind of uh, pushed me away as well. Just, oh, here's another corny WWF gimmick. There, uh, if you could pick at the top of a list some of the wrestling personalities I literally despise, you could put Oscar right at the top of that list. Right. What a dickhead! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is such a weird little dickhead. And yeah, oh, you've never come across him at anything. I, just, I, I think I was at a live Conrad show and he did like a rap to open it up, but I didn't talk to him or anything like that. That's like the closest, you know. I just I think I saw him open a show. He is such a weirdo, okay? Do you remember when they were doing Men on a Mission radio in like 2016-ish? No. It was Mo, Mo, I think some girl, and Oscar were doing Men on a Mission radio. This is a blog talk radio wow. show. See, I'm diverting here. Now we're talking like old school podcasting stuff, right? Yeah. John and I worked an event in uh, the Jer on the Jersey Shore that same year, and uh, Oscar was there, so I we're hey we're in the biz together now right we're in the podcast world and i said i was like hey you know congratulations on doing your show you know i do a show too uh you know what are you you know like what are you doing like how are you enjoying it he goes man we just broke one million downloads we're we're the number one podcast in wrestling in america and i'm like what like yeah. what yeah i was like oscar i gotta go i'm not gonna sit here and listen to this and be insulted right <laughs> And then he just started popping up at random conventions, miserable looking. He did our convention in Richmond, just miserable guy. Still thinks it's 1993. Still thinks that Vince McMahon is waiting for him to, uh, you know, call him back. What right. a little dickhead. Oh, my God. Can't stand Oscar. I can't back. imagine the uh, quality of that show, especially on blog talk radio. You know, like, holy shit. You got to hear that little blog talk radio before you uh, you get going. Yeah. How blog talk radio is not going to make a comeback huh? in 2022? <laughs> you never know. You never know. Maybe they can update, update a little bit. But no, no. You think maybe, perhaps. All right. I have I have a visual for you. Mm -hmm. um, this is uh, I like to do this sometimes just to provide a little context. Uh, this dark match took place on October 18th, 1993. In Poughkeepsie, New York, which is a north, big north, northeastern stop at that point in 1993, we're going to see this gentleman come into frame. Do you remember hearing about this guy hitting the WWF scene? Just wait for it. He's going to fly into frame. <laughs> uh -huh. Where is he? Come on. You're making me look bad. It is the homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, <laughs> death-defying Sabu in a WWF like ring in yeah. 1993 taking on Scott Taylor. Yeah. Do you remember the hype of Sabu, and do you remember him in a WWF ring? No, I remember the hype and seeing him, you know, hyped up big time in some of the magazines, like PWI, but even some of the crazier, bloodier ones, of course, you know. But, no, I didn't know till years later that he did um, – WWF tryouts. It's a handful of them. Uh, yeah. There, it's around this same time frame. Uh, you know, he'd do a superstars taping. I think he'd do another Raw, and then you know they'd obviously go in a different direction. They wanted to bring him in as the Sultan in 1997. That never worked out. Um, but you want to talk about a fish out of water? What in God's name would Sabu have done in this company in 1993? Whew. 
Um, man, at least, you know, maybe he could have been a, a heel going after the one, two, three kid, you know, something like that. Or he could have even been like a crazy mercenary for somebody like maybe Owen sends him after Brett. That would have been very, very interesting. Um, that could have been I cool. Just, I like that. I mean, being an ECW guy, I love Sabu, you know, I know he's, you know, maybe he's not that popular. He says crazy shit online or whatever, but um i just that (laughs) yeah well you know his head (laughs) yeah and i was gonna say before that man scott taylor's probably a good match for him here you know at least uh he's a younger indie guy he's probably more willing to take crazier stuff and he can fly around a little bit too but no i mean uh, with sabu i always think about like geez if he would have just played the game a little bit more he could uh be in be in a more comfortable retirement position now but he yes he didn't play the game anywhere he just wouldn't do it Right, uh, and you, and you're even seeing right here in the in what this match has been on for two minutes as we're watching it. We've already had two rest stops, yeah. um, headlock and a leg lock, and it's like yeah. okay, that's not what I think of when I watch a Sabu match. He nope. hit the uh, the uh, the over the uh, the rope leg drop and got a two count in a minute into the match, and the crowd's not even jumping up on their feet. The crowd's just standing there. Yeah, like, who's this mean? Oh, oh boy. <laughs> he he just completely tanked the uh, the the over the the top rope. Uh, plancha, and again, nobody's getting up out of their seat because this is not what we want to see in '93. Yeah, but I th- like, I, yeah, if you put him in there and uh, you know, one, two, three kid wins a surprise match, all of a sudden this nut comes out of the crowd, beats him up, and then puts him through a table, I think people would be, oh, this is different. What's this, you know? Oh man, oh, into the guardrail again, he like completely catapults past Scott Taylor. Yeah, <laughs> it was just, you know, that's part of Sabu's game is he, if he hits you, you're lucky. But um, yeah, I just, I don't know, like thinking about who, like you said, maybe one, two, three kid, you know, uh, maybe a, an Owen Hart mercenary. Those are two great ideas. I don't personally know what he would have done. You know, he's not the kind of guy you picture the WWF doing anything with. Even here, I mean, his tights, I know this is earlier in his run. His tights don't even look like they fit the WWF, <laughs> you know, uh, um, character uh, mold. Yeah, I th- and also going to the thing you said earlier about the salt, and I do remember either reading in his book or seen in a shoot that, uh, you know, WWE wanted to put Iron Sheik with him. And he was like, I can't do that. My uncle is is the Sheik. He would kill me, you know, <laughs> if I if I started saying Iron, because they wanted to say Iron Sheik was his uncle. It's like, I can't yeah. do that, you know. Vince no, I, I don't Has remember. Has ever heard of the original Sheik? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like, who? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, oh, look at Scott busting. Yeah, look at Scott Taylor <laughs> trying to break out the, uh, the mm. somersault. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't remember hearing that Sabu did this, but I I do remember him on you know random Raws in '97. I remember he had Correct. a match with uh, Flash Funk, and um, actually that might have been it. I thought there was more than one, but I think that was. Uh, it. Well, he makes the appear. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. He makes the appearance when the group shows up on his right. debut, and then he has the match with Flash Funk. Right. Um, and he would be on Nitro in '95 for a few weeks. Look at that. A uh, uh, what do you call it? Frankenstein?er Let's see. Does that get the pin here? One, two. No, we. Oh, Sabu sits up. Some there's a there's a screw up somewhere. There's some miscommunication. But uh, yeah, we'd see him on Nitro in '95. But at least in '95, he had a little bit more statewide cred. Up there's a screw up there. Yeah, he's having a tough tough time here. All right, we'll do the rope flip moonsault, and that's probably it. (laughs) Yeah, that's got to be it. One, two, three. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. So I'm sure this is probably what they talked about in the back. Is that Either guy, look, and Sabu's is typical. He's pissed off because <laughs> something got messed up, and uh, you know, look, he took a swat at a kid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, all that's fitting in in '93 in, in the right. WWF. Come on, get out of here. <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. Um, but I think he probably could be the most high-profile miss, and I'm going to say him over Benoit because we didn't really know Benoit either at that point when Benoit tried out for the WWF, but they put him with million dollar man, Teddy Biasi. Uh, this was in 94 ish, I believe. Um, although I feel Benoit probably would have had a great run in 94. Had he been in the WWF? Um, I think Sabu might've been the high profile miss even right. over Benoit. What do you think they could have done with a, a crippler Chris Benoit in 94? Well, I would go back to Brett again, just 
almost the same idea. Owen brings him in to, to take Brett down and he's a submission specialist. And I'm sure Brett would have been all for that. Actually in Brett's book, he's like, man, I wanted Benoit to come and I wanted Austin to come in sooner than he did. I needed guys to work with whatever. So that could have been something. And uh, something I was going to say about Sabu and I'll say about Benoit here is maybe they could have, uh, Get, gotten a little bit ahead of WCW and, and brought in that junior heavyweight title or cruiserweight or whatever right. they, whatever WWE would want to call it. I think theirs was called junior heavyweight, you know, when it wasn't when it was in Japan and Dynamite Kid was wrestling for it and all that. So that could have been something that they that they jump started before WCW. Not that uh, Vince probably would have been crazy about it, but you know, Benoit could have worked with a lot of guys. Again, one, two, three, kid. You know, he could have been and he could have worked with the bigger guys too. He showed that. So I think he would have. Yeah, he would have been good you, if you have somebody talking for him not that i ever personally had a problem with his interviews you know a few glaring uh exceptions you know he had some bad ones but mostly he was solid but you put him in dibiase's group he's he's automatically got heat and uh he he could have worked with anybody you think he needs the manager or you think he needed uh yeah you think he needs the db get that million dollar corporation rub million dollar corporation had a shitload of guys and it was almost like you know if you've ever seen the uh the dark match of earthquake in like uh, 89, they stick him with slick, right? Yeah. Doesn't really match. And uh, you think DiBiase, Benoit, does that one fit? You know, does he fit better with like a Harvey Whippleman? Who who would have fit with the, the Crippler? Is DiBiase your guy? I think DiBiase's the guy, yeah. I mean, I'm one of those fans that always wanted to see and wondered why they never did Arn just stri- straight up managing Benoit. Or actually, yeah. even down the line later, they had Shane with him, McMahon, for a little bit. And I was like, oh, right. that's good. That's going to be good, you know, but uh, DiBiase in that time frame, yeah, I think would have been the guy to, to manage him, yeah. That, I was actually, it's funny, I was just thinking about that heel turn of Benoit very uh, recently because if you remember, he comes back and he's like this over babyface because he was out for so long with the injury mm-hmm. and then like immediately turned him. Oh, wait, is that, wait, is 2000 with The Rock, right? Yeah. Was it Benoit out and he came back heel, right? No, he was out after that. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Let me get this right. He he went out after the Austin feud in 2001. Came back. Okay, that was it. Still. Came back. Okay, and all right. right. Whatever. Him, him and Guerrero were like heels on Raw together. That was it. Okay, maybe that's the one I was thinking of. But the one with the Rock, yeah, I thought that was a great opportunity mm-hmm. for uh, um, for Benoit. To, and you to think about that. It, it, for it was said for years that they thought highly of him and wanted to bring him in if they ever had the chance. Well, he came in in January with the radicals. And then by June or July, yeah. that feud was, he's already feuding for the world title with the, with the rock. Right. The right. Guy, you know, so right. obviously they thought very highly of him even early on. Sorry guys. The chat's there's a little uh, slow on the fastball today. He's not feeling so hot. So my brain is uh, a little scrambled eggs, but we will trudge on uh, 1995. A guy shows up from ECW uh, around the summertime and some vignettes uh, that yes, we've seen him in the WWF before, We've seen him in WCW before, but I'm going to put him at the top of the ECW guy list because he was known as ECW's franchise. And the franchise Shane Douglas shows up in, in the WWF, but he's not Shane Douglas, who we know, even from 90, 1990 when he's doing job matches, essentially. He is the Dean, Dean Douglas. Uh, this guy lit the world on fire in ECW. He beat everybody. He stole their girls, and he uh, started a revolution. And now was kind of uh, put on the back burner pretty damn fast. Put into a light blue pair of trunks, and uh, given a gimmick that has potential, yes, but nonetheless, not really going anywhere. Uh, what are your memories of Dean Douglas and the the transformation from the franchise to the Dean in '95? Well, I, the only um. <clears throat> The only Dean Douglas stuff I've seen is stuff that I went back to watch because I, I wasn't watching at the time. But I know it's another. It would have remind, reminded me of Men on the Mission. Men on the Mission. If I would have turned on the TV and seen Shane just playing like a teacher, I'd have been like, "Oh, corny gimmick. I'm not interested in that." You know. But they they definitely. I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist to say this. They definitely should have let him just do what he's what he had been doing. You know, be the franchise or, or call him something else, but let him be that cocky. You know. You know. Um, like he always said, starting quarterback type, you know, right. the, the top smug, cocky athlete guy that's going to steal your girl and then beat your ass and all that. And, you know, he just that would have been fine to have, you know, the franchise come in from the outside and go after Shawn Michaels or Brett, you know, 
that would have been fine for him. But um, I don't know why, you know, Vince had that thing at the time where if you were a prison guard, oh, you're the boss man. Or if you were a, you worked at a funeral home, now you're Paul Bear. You know, oh, Shane had, te- Shane had been a teacher. Oh, well, let me think about that. And then they tried it again years later, which with Stryker, which was the same annoying shit. You know, it was, this isn't ha- how many yeah. times can you have the guy right on the chalkboard or I'm going to give but you a be- nap or whatever. Yeah, but you know what? To be fair, though, and as much, I love the, the franchise to death. Mm-hmm. I'll tell him this later on now when I say this on this show. Um, I think that they got more legs out of it with Stryker than they did with Shane. I think Stryker at least kind of uh, took it a little bit further than the Dean. Yeah. Well, also because the Dean quit after the right. Dean wasn't going anywhere. Uh, but this guy, yeah, he's on top of the world. He is the face of ECW as the top heel, you know, and he, he was a baby face as well. But this guy's a multiple time champion feuding with Terry Funk, feuding with Sabu, feuding with the Sandman, taking on the world, feuding with, you know, Cactus Jack. And then he shows up. He's the Dean. And the story goes that he's told many a times. He did the, the promo initially to a group of producers as the Dean and then as the franchise and Vince leaves the room for the one that he does the franchise. Everybody tells him that they love it. When Vince comes back, Vince says, uh, I think I like it more my way. Everybody agrees with them. Of course. And, then, and there you go. Shane gets uh, screwed over for the first time in that run. Um, but now let me give you that. So let's take the Dean character, but have him talk like Shane. So use the little Shane. Look, you talk to Shane in an average conversation. He's dropping big words like the Dean Douglas character, right? He talks like the franchise, but he's the Dean. Will it work or is it just DOA because of how that character looks? I don't think it was DOA for any of those reasons. I I think no matter how they presented it, he would have been DOA because Scott Hall didn't didn't want to put him over and didn't want to work with him and was going to give you know, give the Iggy to the office, no matter what, and say, this guy sucks, or I don't know, he, you know, he, he's sandbagging me, whatever it was, those guys didn't want him coming in and jumping up a spot. Right. Oh, ECW guy, ugh, who the fuck is he kind of thing, you know? So I don't think, she, I mean, the character wasn't what it was, but I don't think Shane was too handicapped by that or whichever way they would have presented it. I think he just had, he was going to have problems because of who he was working with and the guys that didn't want him there, you know, that would have right. been strong him no matter what. He, he always cites the Bill Watts massacre, the night the heels went up on Raw and uh, Undertaker's face is crushed by uh, Yokozuna and he attacks Shawn Michaels and they, they have a brawl on the outside. But instead of debuting the Dean in August, what if they had debuted the Dean on June 25th, 1995 at the Core States Spectrum mm-hmm. in Philadelphia for probably, even though this is not an ECW uh, uh, you know greatest hits list, this is probably the biggest ECW inclusion of the new generation era. King of the ring 95. What if they debut Shane as the Dean on that show? Oh, it'd be phenomenal. It'd be phenomenal. That crowd was already chanting ECW was, you know, ECW was already making some huge, huge waves that's out there, man. And uh, that would have been great. I wish, I wish looking back that Shane would have had an opportunity to do something like that, especially in Philly, because when you look at it, even when he had his chances with WCW down the line, they never presented him as anything in Philly, really. He never had that big Philly debut or pop oh. up. Like, like Public Enemy always had a big night in Philly when they came back. Raven was over like shit in, uh, well, that sounds bad. He was over like Rover in Philly. Shane never, <laughs> Shane never was over like shit. Yeah. Uh, but Shane never I'm got that chance. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shane never got that chance. And, and you bring that up makes me wish that he did. Yeah, that's a good point because I think didn't uh, Public Enemy win the WCW tag belts in Philly when uh, Nitro came to Philadelphia? Um, I'm not sure because I wasn't at that one. I know they beat Harlem Heat or anything. I just don't remember where it was. Okay, I'm almost 100% positive that it was Philly. But when Uh, I started going to them after that, every Philly show you could be guaranteed was going to have a Philly street fight with public enemy and freaking high voltage or some uh, the French Canadians or something, you know, so coming out in the Flyers jerseys. That's uh, I'm just impressed that you got the making the huge waves out there uh, reference out there because uh, me thinking about that makes me hooked on phonics and stuck on stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Moving ahead a little bit. uh, 1996 sees a huge ECW guy jump to the WWF again. This is a guy who was in WCW and made a name for himself there. But I got to be honest with you. I think of him more in ECW because he was probably one of the most over guys in the company. 
but he wouldn't be coming to the WWF as Too Cold Scorpio. He would be rebranded as Flash Funk. And I remember the graphic appearing on the Survivor Series little report they did in 96 showing the debuting Flash Funk and going like, wait a second. <laughs> That's Too Cold Scorpio. And yeah. then ECW TV picking up on that and starting to throw Too Cold Scorpio onto the bus. Huge loss for ECW, in my opinion. Oh, just huge at that time. And I remember, you know, being a younger fan and thinking, wow, this guy's leaving. And they're, he's, they had him beat like three opponents in a row, whether it was yes. uh, Hack Myers. I can't remember who else it was. It was, was like, Devin oh, Storm, Hack Myers, and maybe Kid Cash as David Jericho. David perhaps. Jericho or whatever, yeah. Um, perhaps. Yeah. But I just remember thinking, like, wow, I've never seen a guy on his way out not lose, you know. And then, of course, Taz came out, and you know, at the end, see you later, Flash or whatever. I was like, wow, this is again watching it going, this is different, man. They're mentioning the other companies, and wow, what is going on here? But so it made me excited for his potential in WWE with that little bit I had seen him in in ECW to that time. And then, you know, as soon as I saw a Flash Funk character debut on Raw, I went dead. Oh, the worst. I re- yeah, it's, uh, well, he debuts at Survivor Series. They do the whole entrance with the dance, and Vince is going nuts. Vince is loving life. <laughs> he's sitting there. He's he's dancing to it. He's getting down. Um, just was really like, you know, oh, man, it really sucks because Too Cold Scorpio maybe could have been an intercontinental contender at that point. He was the TV champion in ECW. You know, he was always in the discussions. Hell, he's in the main event of uh, the NWA finals with Shane when when Shane wins the belt in 93. Right. Huge missed opportunity for uh, Scorpio, who would eventually morph back into Scorpio out of the blue <laughs> in 98. If you remember. I was there. The... Oh, were you really? <laughs> yeah, they did it in Philly, and Terry Funk brought him out. And it was Bring like. Bring on the funk. Bring on the funk. And everyone's like. What the hell is going on? You know, <laughs> and he came out as Scorpio when he finished the match with his 450 and everything, and everybody was happy, but they didn't really do anything with him from there. It was, you know, probably probably Vince Russo, I'm guessing, going, let's give him his old character. He can come out in Philly, he'll be over, and blah, blah. But they didn't have any plans from there. He just w- was in the job squad, I think. No, well, th- what they first did was is him and Funk had a little run as a tag team. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like a you know, month, maybe because they're in that uh pay per view uh tag team battle royal, or it's like a, a, a I can't remember if it's a battle royal or maybe it was on Raw, it was like a, a tornado match where like you know, or a gauntlet match where each team comes out. But he was too cold, Scorpio Funk for a mm. little while, <laughs> doesn't really uh see, see its name in lights on the marquee, <laughs> yeah. And then like a month, a month later, it was Funk and Bradshaw against Scorpio and uh. Was it Ron? Well, he was Farouk, but he had turned babyface, you know. And I was just like, "Yes, oh, the terrible." Those other two were just a team. What's going on here? And I I think actually they broke up like in a backstage segment. Funk and Scorpio, just like, "All right, I'll go my way, you go yours," and that—that was the only explanation. (laughs) But uh, yeah, missed opportunity again, and it it hurt to see him come out and like uh, on the free for alls, and and, you know he's going to lose to whoever he's faced, and it's like, "Oh, what have they? What have they done to my Scorpio? They massacred my boy." Love Scorpio. That was such a uh, just a, a gut punch uh, to see what happened to him. But, you know, look, around that time, too, like I said, I'm not going to count guys like Tony DeVito doing jobs or I'm not even going to count, you know, and this is a guy I want to throw out to you. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to count him as being an ECW guy, but we knew this guy is an indie guy. And I'll just throw him in the discussion because he would then go back to ECW and make a bigger name for himself. Uh, do you remember Skip? And when he arrived on the scene and knowing anything about Chris Candido from that Northeastern indie scene. No, just because I was out of the loop. So even when he kind of came back to ECW, I wasn't quite sure who he was. And then I thought, Oh, he was a tag team champion and this and that. And I immediately, as I was watching him, you know, it just fell in love with Chris Candido. I'm a huge Candido fan to this day. And uh, another tragedy, I'll tell you like, this is a little bit darker, but there's only, you know, we've seen a lot of our favorites pass away you know, through the years as wrestling fans. But Chris Candido's death was the first time that I actually like said a prayer for someone that died in the business. Like I felt so bad for Candido actually said a prayer. And then again, for Eddie Guerrero, but Candido was the first one where I started to, I started to turn away a little, 
you know, and Ben and the Benoit tragedy and a Guerrero, all of them happening kind of in a row. I know it turned a lot of people off and I was one of them for a while, but so sorry to get morbid and sound. No, 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 not at all. No, uh, John and I were at an indie show that ended up becoming the uh, 10 bell salute to Candido, uh, you know, because he had just died so unexpectedly. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was talking to Johnny this week, Johnny Candido, Chris's brother about a project that's being worked on about Chris mm-hmm. and talking about how, if you didn't grow up watching what he did in that time frame, he's not a guy you're going to go back to find. You got, you, you know what I mean? You're not going to watch a show and go, okay, I got to find the Chris Candido match. You got to watch a show and see how Chris Candido steals it right. and be like, all right, now I'm a fan of this guy. And this is, this is somebody I need to check out. Um, I knew Candido from all over the Jersey scene. I mean, in that time frame, Candido was basically your top indie guy. Like we would see anybody who jumps to AEW or WWE, um, you know, in the last five years, Candido becomes skip the body Donna. I wasn't into the Smoky Mountain stuff because I didn't see it. I saw the magazine crap. I didn't watch it because uh, we didn't get it where I was in Jersey. But Skip the Body Donna is a, absolutely a WWF uh, creation in every sense. It's corny. It's over the top. It's colorful. Um, you know, again, it's fitness. Simon Dean, another ECW guy, would carry it along a lot further. But it's just a little cheesy for a guy like Candido, who probably could have had the best match on the card if he was allowed. Right. Yeah, and he definitely could have. I mean, I was going to say one of my favorite little things he did, and this is so, like, trivial or whatever i remember him and lance storm were the tag team champions and they were coming out to the ring and lance storm's music was playing and he just looks around like what the fuck and looks at the crowd like no this is no good and he stomps back to the dressing room until his music plays and he comes out happy as can be because his music playing you know, i love that that was such a great little great little twist yes no without a doubt no that, that's incredible uh the cool stuff that, that he did with lance uh and let me ask you this too this diverting ecw time I tapped out a little bit on ECW and I still haven't even gone back to fill in some of the gaps. Sometimes when I'm doing shows with Francine, it's the first time I'm seeing stuff because I, I tapped out on it. We never got the full blown Shane versus Candido feud, but they started to, right? They started to kind of lay the seeds for the feud, but they never had the blow off match in ECW. Yeah. I think they started to, to, like you said, lay, lay the groundwork in uh, somewhere in 99, but uh, it was it was it was very uh, it wasn't a very long term thing. And then Shane left and then Chris, right. left, you know, so they never got to it. They didn't do that until years, a few years later in XPW. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that they were all in WCW, the triple threat at one point and had right. no interaction was kind of kind of stupid, if you ask me, and a missed yeah. opportunity. All right. Uh, all right. We're going back to the visual here for the last portion of this uh, program. Um I'm going to play this and you're going to tell me your first reaction. Monday Night Raw at the Manhattan Center. Mm-hmm. February 1997. Oh my God, it's the Eliminators. Who's this dope? This total elimination on a, on a stagehand who didn't see yeah. it coming, but grabbed his yeah. head before he was hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying. Who is this guy? He was already covering his back of his head, you know? Now, were you in or out at this point? I was in, and, and like I said, I, I had been watching ECW for for only a few months, really. But I was already in. You know, I was already happy to see these guys on on TV on on WWE TV like this. Thought, another thing that I was like, "Wow, WWE's recognizing another promotion!" Like, holy shit! And I knew Paul from Paulie Dangerously. You know, I'm like, "Why are they calling him Paul Heyman?" You know, what's what's this? And yeah, yeah, the Eliminators at that time were being pushed as the greatest tag team in the world. They're the greatest tag team in the world. The greatest tag, you know, that's how Paul marketed them. And and shit, a lot of people believed it. To me, it was incredible. And, and actually, I think one of the most uh, clever things of this invasion was to have the Eliminators be the first team to show up on the uh, the Monday Night Raw because Total Elimination was such a devastating move and was so over in ECW that if that's going to be the first thing you see, it's going to be the most devastating thing that they can do. Not the guy jumping off the sign or breaking a table or whatever. No, let me show you a move. Let's kick the shit out of this stagehand who, again, protects his head very yeah. blatantly, very stupidly that he exposed it. Um, but... Perfect. And you know, another thing that I thought watching this at the time was how colorful they looked compared to how dull they all looked on ECW TV with that 
you know, crappier camera work and the dark lighting Green. here under the big lights of Monday Night Raw. Like they look like friggin' stars. <laughs> they look yeah. unbelievable. And I was such a huge Eliminators fan. And then, you know, by just a few months later, they had uh, disbanded, unfortunately. And Perry had the knee injury. But I remember <clears throat> another minute thing, but it was like a, a year or so later, uh, two years later, actually, now I think about it. Canyon, Saturn, and Raven had a three way match. And Canyon and Saturn hit the total elimination. And I was like, the only, I was watching with friends. I was the only one in the room to like pot jump up and go, yes, you know. And um, <laughs> you didn't see it. Like, I think that's the only time Saturn ever did that again with somebody. I think he did like a variation when he was teaming with Raven, but it's probably the only time you saw total elimination ever again was just Saturn and Canyon doing it randomly uh, at like Road Wild or something like that. Let me guess. Raven went for the bottom, right? He didn't. He didn't go for the top. Oh no! When when he was team with Saturn, they did it. Uh, Saturn would do the leg sweep, and Raven did a clothesline. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Raven, uh, he makes an appearance on this uh, Monday Night Raw uh, in the Manhattan Center, where four years previously he's in the Manhattan Center on a weekly basis. He's a he's a producer for the WWF, but he's also an on screen character. He's Johnny Polo. Mm-hmm. So for me. Yes, the BWO was over. The BWO was great. Vince is awesome on commentary. But this was the most understated moment of this invasion is the fact that Raven is standing in front of that sign, having been Johnny Polo four years earlier on this same program. I think it cannot be put over enough that if anybody gets the transformation award of all time, it's this guy. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, and it's funny to go back and watch some of those clips of him as Johnny Polo or Scotty Flamingo or uh, Scotty the Body. Like, he was so different. He was so different as those dancing and bringing girls in the ring and everything. Not the Raven didn't bring girls in the ring. It was a little different to, to become this darker type character. Yeah, it's, what, a, what a career transformation. And it's, I mean, it's crazy how he was able to do that. But I, I remember I was disappointed at this because he didn't do anything. Right, like, wow, let Raven run in, let him talk or something. You <laughs> he know? just stands there with the belt. I yeah. believe this is also where the belt finally changed. This is, I think, where they got the new belt because they had that shitty old one with the tape yeah. hanging off of it. It looked like like dog shit. But yeah. uh, he's got the new belt. Uh, Guido almost steals the victory here from Stevie. Yeah, the, um, the 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 two things that it bothered me about this though was it first Vince didn't know the, who the hell Stevie Richards was. He was calling him Stevie Ray and yeah. <laughs> calling him. And then uh, I just remember thinking, like, geez, you can put your guys on this on this, you know, international show. And and not that I I always liked Guido. I mean, he was a great, great American talent, but it seemed to me a little like you really want a guy named Little Guido <laughs> presenting. I just I just thought it, I, I just thought that didn't make sense. But you know, they needed someone, they needed someone for Stevie to beat. So right. Yeah, and that, and that also was cool, too. And the selection of who they picked was also very interesting because you got your stars later on and you got your, uh, you know, your lesser match here. I guess the way to get the BWO on, take the shots at the NWO, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Vince saying the clothing line NWO, which I always thought was very funny. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it would have been great if somebody like Lawler said, haven't we seen him here before, you know, to Raven? Yeah. Something, something like that. Because we all knew it watching. Mm-hmm. But then this is where, okay, and this is where they kind of shit on ECW. They do an insert graphic promo of Goldust talking about his match later on in the evening. And they ask him, what do you think of ECW? And he completely steps on the question and goes yeah. into his little Goldust shtick, thus yeah. saying, look, ECW sucks. Yeah, <laughs> We're not giving them any bit of shit on this program. We're going to just make them the lesser product. Yeah, and I think they did it again with Farouk or and maybe Undertaker. Uh, Undertaker. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the main event of this show, he he comes on or when the ECW main event, um, which I don't believe I have the video up for this. This is just the rest of the Guido um Stevie Dude. match. Uh, I'll just show you something really funny here. There's a graphic for La Femme Nikita <laughs> <laughs> coming up after Raw. The only the only guy that I know that can name every show that came after the Monday Night Raw is John Paz. <laughs> oh man. Um Pacific, no, Pacific Blue didn't play. <laughs> they might have Silk Stockings. Uh, you know, the, the va- whatever the vampire one that they had uh, after uh, a little while in the heat of the night or something. I can't remember what it yeah. was. Um, but I would say my favorite, uh, even being an ECW fan and, and being from Philly and, wow, we're getting to see our, our local guys, 
you know, sort of on, on the major program. I think my favorite segment from this show was actually the Sonny and Marlena arm wrestling match. Yes, that was, was good. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great spot in that where Sonny, you know, very clearly the camera is on the wrong side. They show her on, uh, you know, undoing the, uh, the salt that she throw into Marlena's eyes. And when she does it, there's a guy in the crowd yelling, oh, you bitch, yeah. you bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Uh, that, the main event, that, hide- that hideous uh, ECW infiltrated crowd, like every time she bent over to do the arm wrestle and there was like a, some sort of hideous cat call or whatever. And she would turn like shocked, you know, not good selling it and everything like that. I always thought that was great because that, hey, that crowd it, represented a big turn. If big there's speed. anything that WWF took from ECW, it's the Manhattan center crowd, because right. this is the first time we saw what a crowd in ECW looked like mm-hmm. in 93 it was this crowd because these were the smart fans. You got the guy who was sitting in the front row with the Bob Backlund t-shirt, you know? And if you ever look at it, technically Bob Backlund is the first match ever put out in front of the Manhattan center when they came back in 93. Mm -hmm. So uh, they were smart fans, but the main event of this show is Bubba Ray Dudley or is it Devon Dudley versus uh, Tommy dreamer. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Dreamer gets the big spot. They give him the the first incarnation of the Man in the Box uh, cover by uh, WWF Music. Yeah. Um, we get run-ins by the Sandman. We get a run-in by Bubba. Sandman and Dreamer clean house. That's the end of it. Oh, we also got Taz. Um, who Taz and Mikey Whipwreck yeah. were on the show. That's where Sabu jumps off the, uh, the Raw sign. Yeah. But let's go to that main event. Do you like those four guys being in there? And uh, do you like how the outcome shined ECW? Yeah, I, I did. Um, I, I just remember Vince pussing out on commentary, you know, kind of being like, oh, I think this is going a little too far. And Paul's going, well, yeah. what's too far, you know? Yeah. But you got to see, you know, cookie sheets and chairs and Sandman chugging the beer and his head bleeding and everything like that. You got to see a, a, a small sampling of what ECW was known for at that time, which was the violence, the blood, the beer, you know. Uh, the Singapore cane, everything like that. So I thought that was the best representation all night of what ECW was about. Yeah, here it is. I pulled it up. I was able to grab it. Here's the closing uh, moments of it. Let's get to uh, let's get to about here. Sandman, of course, gets the ring, starts getting beat up. Mm-hmm. Classic Sandman. Um, again, you know, he almost looks the most fish out of water of everybody. Right. Right, because he's uh, he's in his pajama pants and his yeah, t- he looks the most goofy of everybody on the show. Yeah. Wham. Oh, they did the little static cut. Mm-hmm. That's what I that's what I had to do when I worked there. <laughs> no, you have to take out the chair shots. Oh, they they cut the the, the main shot of Dreamer and uh Sandman, and then they uh Heyman and Lawler getting the argument to, to close out ECW segment. Lawler was great. Why don't you get the hell out of here? And Vince takes off the headset. Vince getting a little involved. You gotta give him credit. Yep. One of the I mean, one of the few times that you would see that happen through the years, you know. I remember the time where he got he was involved in Flair and Hogan and Piper and all that. And, you know, a couple of times he got physical. But this was the first time I remember seeing it in a long time. Uh, what, about 12 ECW guys on one? Jerry Lawler looked pretty pretty damn strong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one guy missing from that show. Who was it? Uh, Shane. It was. Shane and his crew, yeah. Yeah, and as famously told by the Queen of Extreme, they, well, Shane declined on their behalf, and she was devastated because this was their chance to be on TV. It was too too fresh. The wounds were still not healed. He declined on their behalf, and the triple threat was not mentioned on this show. That's too bad. And, I mean, you know, maybe they could have slotted Francine in there somewhere anyway. Like, Buell's out with Dreamer. Have Francine come out and confront her. You get a cat fight on Raw, that kind of thing, but. I don't even know if those two were interacting at the time, but right, no, Be- right, but no, no, Beulah, Beulah does come out with Dreamer. You're, I that yeah. was yeah, and Beulah, I mean, kind of, kind of on a top tier, even compared to Sonny and Marlena at that point. That was Beulah McGillicuddy, folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that could have made a lot of sense. Uh, and then they would do another ECW invasion a few weeks later, but that falls out of my jurisdiction. Where we'd see Candido, yeah, make his return, which I was always shocked about that. Because there was always the supposed bad blood with Candido and, and WWF, but he was able to put it aside and show up. Shane, guy strong in his convictions. What can you say? Yeah. And I remember hearing uh, the Candido story about how he's like, you know what? It's enough. I've had enough. I quit. 
and someone like Cornette or somebody said, Hey, you can't do that. You have to, you know, file the official paperwork. And he just wrote on a piece of paper. I quit Chris Candido <laughs> and handed it to him. You know? so I have to read that book. I know there's a book out about his life and everything. I haven't read it yet. The Candido book is yeah. excellent. Yeah, no, that's uh Johnny wrote that and Johnny uh, did a great job putting it together. So mm -hmm. uh, definitely suggest it. So, uh, all right, Joe, that's enough for those three letters to be retired once again, but they did have a lot of influence on the new generation era. And I'm glad we had the time to spotlight it. Uh, I know I'll see you in season three of get my go, the highly anticipated season three of, uh, get my go one episode in the can as we speak. Uh, and it's going to be a barn burner from uh, what I recall. Uh, oh yeah. Yes, <laughs> and I wanted to mention too, and, uh, I'm, I'm under no obligation to promote this, but I'm going to be there. And I don't know if you, you or John or both are going to check it out, but in December they have like an ECW tribute show at the arena put on by battleground championship wrestling. And I was looking at the card, you know, Scorpio is going to wrestle, uh, Rich yeah. Ron, which should be a lot of fun. Van Dam mm -hmm. and Rhino are there. Um, yep. Bubba Ray is going to wrestle Matt Cardona. So it should be interesting. I don't know who else they're going to pay tribute to, but I, I would have to imagine Shane would be there. Oh, I don't he's going to be there. He'll yeah. be there. It's uh, I'm on the fence. So I, I'd like to, to go. The, it's a tough time of the year yes. uh, with holiday goings on, you know, family obligations, but that's always a big show. And it's also, uh, if I could bring my Ted DiBiase back, <laughs> it's a big moneymaker. So I would love to, uh, to be there. Uh, at some point, but uh, yeah, so tell people, everybody people, where I was just gonna say for the people wondering, it's December seventeenth at the twenty three hundred arena. So there's again convention and then a show. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. I'm under no obligation to promote what, it. What, what, what is there a paid promotion part here that that's you're, how you're just? A, that's how big a fan I am. If you're if you're <laughs> as big a fan of ECW as I was, come out and uh, you know do the tribute thing one more time. Well, we'll do it one more time. Uh, tell them where they can find you and everything under your creative control umbrella. Well, you can find me on Twitter at JFFeeny3RDJFFEENY, the number 3RD. Uh, you can catch me across the three, four shows a week uh, that K100 puts out now. K100 with Conan and Disco, available on Spreaker and all podcast platforms. I'm also on The Raven Effect with Raven and Rich Bikini every Monday on Spreaker and all podcast platforms and all the Creative Control Network shows including with Chad himself and uh, Francine on eyes up here. They're all available in the creative control network again, Spreaker and all podcast platforms. And you can follow all that stuff at the CC network one on Twitter at the creative control network on Facebook. What an inspired goodbye. Cause this show totally outlived our <laughs> expectations. Uh, Joe, I always love getting a chance to talk a little wrestling with you. Uh, Cause a lot of times when we're in those boxes together, we're just ripping on shit. So right. it's nice to talk about the stuff that got us to the dance. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. absolutely. And you're, you're one of the good eggs. Don't no matter how much people might say you're not remember you are. And that's an endorsement from the Chadster. Well, I appreciate it. It's I'm, I'm a sucker for praise and uh, there's, you can never get enough of it. It's the God honest truth, my friend. Right. And that's, that's all I'll say about that. But Appreciate you uh, joining me. If you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter at IB exclusives on Instagram. My website is IB exclusives.com and you can get my IB exclusives and the Chadster t-shirt at below the slash IB exclusives. So for the great Joe Feeney, this is the just as great to Chadster. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading.